Man, what a powerful promise. And no matter where we are today, no matter what you and I are walking through, the reality is the hope of God says, I'm here. Reading this morning in Psalm 28, verse 6, David writes and says, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Now, what a promise. My praise will exalt him. I'll lift him up. I'll point everybody else to who he is because he's true. I want us to sing the first stanza of Blessed Assurance again. And I want you to think about the line that says, Purchase of God. You and I, if you have a relationship to Jesus Christ, we were bought with a price. We are not our own. He is ours, and we are His. And that's His promise. Oh, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Father, may that, may that promise that you have given us through Jesus Christ, may it wash over us this morning as we begin to look at the promises that you have made to every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord. And Father, what those promises give us and, and say to us and encourage us with, Father, may we rest in the truth of who you are. And who you are is you sent your one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son, Jesus Christ. To live a perfect, holy, sinless life. And to offer that life on the cross that my sin and the sin of the world might be purchased. May we walk in what it means to be purchased by you. 
and may you receive all the glory. Use these next few moments as we worship you through the study of the word. May it challenge us. May it take us right where we are and secure us in the promise of your power. And we pray that this morning in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen. We're going to start a series for the next four weeks as we we look through and work through some of the promises of God to the church and and what they mean for us and and how they encourage us. And so we're going to be this morning in Acts 1-8, the, the promise that Christ made as he began his, uh, concluded his earthly ministry and, and ascended into heaven awaiting the second coming um, and, and what it means for you and I. So as you think about that, well, when are those moments in your life where you feel powerless, where you struggle? Think about those times where, where there is a uh, a circumstance or a situation, and and um, and you just feel like, man, I, I just I can't do this. I don't have the power to do this. I don't have the ability to do this. And 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 when you think about those times in life, you know, those are, there are those things that that we wish we could do. I mean, I I love watching my grandson, and and um, Wes's favorite superhero is Batman, and uh, he got into an argument with my. My brother, when my brother was out here a few weeks ago about who really was Batman, you know, and my brother just, just loved that. But Wes puts on that superhero costume, and he is empowered. He thinks he has the power to, you know, literally jump over the sofa or jump off the sofa or, you know, he's going to shoot, you know, something and catch himself, and he's not. It's, it's parents or grandparents whose job is to catch him. But we wish that there were those moments in our life where we could put on a superhero costume. And, and we could be infused with their power and their ability to work through those circumstances in life, whatever those are, whether, whether it's dealing with finances or, or maybe it's circumstances or situations that are beyond your control, that those things are in the hands of someone else, or, or maybe it's parenting, maybe just trying to figure out today how to raise a kid in, in this world. Maybe it's, it's your marriage. Maybe Maybe it's trying to figure out and with the, the pressures and, and the stresses of life how you and I honor God in, in what we do. But in those situations where we seem most powerless, those are the times where God's power is most available to who we are. And a lot of times when we come up against those things, maybe it's something in our jobs or, or, or something in in. In, in relationships with friends or coworkers or sports teams or whatever it is, when we come up against those things and we, man, I, I don't know if I can do this, but we press forward, we find out we can do those things. And then it comes to our faith. And then we have those things in our faith, and, and for some reason when we press up against those things in our faith, it's a little bit different. And, and sometimes, if, if you and I will be honest, we look at other people who are heroes in the faith and we wonder, why didn't I get that? I mean, we read the, the story of, of the men and women in, in Scripture. We read the stories of David and Abraham and Moses and Elijah and Esther and, and, and Peter and, and James and Paul and John. And, 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 and we're thinking all the way through, why didn't I get that? 
But the, the reality for you and I is this. When we look at those heroes in the faith, you and I need to learn not just to look at their successes. See, the Word of God is so true, it even records their failures. It, it records their struggles, and, and it records those times where, where they doubted. I mean, I, one, of my, my beautiful, one of the most beautiful stories to me is, is Elijah. I mean, dudes, he's strong for God. And he challenges the prophets of Baal to a duel. And he gives them first chance. And then he stacks the odds against God. He, he makes it almost impossible for God to move. And God does for God's glory. And Elijah just, just kills all the prophets of Baal. He just, he has, they just, they just gets rid of them right there. And almost instantly, the next scene you see of Elijah, he's hiding in a cave, scared to death. I mean, God just sent fire from heaven and licked up rocks and offering and water and all the stuff. He just delivered. And Elijah goes and hides. And, and, and so as you and I look through those things and, and those opportunities, those, those things that come in the faith, it then comes to our struggles. And it comes to our pressing through. And it comes to how you and I take the things that, that the Lord has said and, and we, we read his word and we understand that those are things that he had written for you and I. That, that there are things for your faith and my faith. That this isn't just for those types of people. It's for us. And, and, and so this morning as we begin to look at and, and begin to work through all of these things, there is a promise that, that Paul writes and remember, I've, I've told you since I've been here, and I'm and, and, until the day I go home, this is going to be my mantra. Okay, there's an area. I was told last week that I was getting a little too rambunctious, and I was disappearing. Okay? Not just to you, but to the cameras. And so there's an area, there's a light that I've got to stay in right here. I'm going to try to be on a leash today. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, and he says, that is why by him the amen is spoken, for all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And one of the things that I've, I've tried to teach you since I came is this. The Bible says what it says and means what it means. You interpret Scripture by Scripture. You interpret Scripture in context, and Scripture never contradicts itself. And so in context, when Paul says, because we hear that, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And we hear that, and, and we start running through things in the Word that really aren't promises. They're principles. Most of the Proverbs are principles. Okay? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's a principle. That's not a promise. Ask some godly people who've raised some hellions in life. Okay? You can be a perfect parent, and that may or may not work. That's a principle. But Paul was writing, and the reason he wrote that letter to the church at Corinth is because he was being attacked. He was being challenged. He had planned to go to Corinth and, 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 and pick up an offering that they had for their church in Macedonia, and his plans had to change. 
And because his plans changed, there were people who wanted his job who started saying, see, Paul didn't plan with the Lord. Paul just plans what's personal to him. And they were attacking Paul, and they were attacking his credibility. And because they were attacking his credibility, they were also attacking what he had said about who Jesus was. And so Paul says to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, he says, my conscience is clear. I know when I said to you yes, I meant yes. And when I said to you no, I meant no. And, and sometimes it's like Roy Rogers used to say, plans will help you work through a situation, but plans mean you have to work your way out of that situation. Okay? Paul said sometimes plans change. and Sometimes God has a bigger deal. I plan with the Lord in mind, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But know this. When God says it, when God makes a promise in Christ, it's yes. God promised salvation. God promised deliverance. God promised righteousness. And all of those things find their fulfillment in who Jesus Christ is. So when we understand the promises, not just the principles, but the promises of who God is and what God has said, that promise and those promises in Christ find a way to work into our life and then work out of our life into the lives of others. So if you have your Bibles, open there to Acts chapter 1. If you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor God's Word as we read it together. Beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Remember that. Remember the context in what Jesus says. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May you be seated, and may God bless his word this morning as we read it study it, and apply it today. So we're going to look at verse 8. And there's three things, three real quick things that Paul says, or not Paul, that Luke writes of the words of Christ to us in that context. In the context of a question, in the context of, Lord, is it time? Is it time for you to reestablish the kingdom of heaven? In the context of that question, Jesus says, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in an ever-expanding way in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the, of the, of the world. So we're going to look at that verse. And the first thing I want you to see is, y'all, told you this before, the best translation of the Word of God would be Texan, okay? When Jesus is speaking here, he is speaking to a crowd of people. There are at least 120 who have gathered. This isn't just the 12. Uh, there, there are, or, or the 11 at that point. They haven't uh, replaced Judas. But, but there are a lot of people, not just men, men and women, the disciples, at least 120 who have gathered here uh, outside to, to, to see Jesus ascend into heaven. And, and he's talking to them and he says, you all, y'all, 
Y'all will receive power. Y'all will be the ones who are included. And, and notice he makes that promise to the crowd, to those people who are going to get their name written in the book, Peter and James and John, Thomas, and to the people who aren't going to get their names written in the book. There are people standing there who hear that promise that we're never going to read about again. We're not going to see their names printed in the, 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 the words of Scripture that we know today. But that promise was still to them. It's the same promise that Paul wrote when he wrote to the church at Corinth, the first letter. And he said, don't you know that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. And all through that passage of Scripture, the word is y'all, you all, every single one of you, plural, y'all were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit indwelt by who God is. Therefore, honor God. Because you were bought, because you all are a part of that, honor God with your bodies. And, and, and so the first thing that this passage teaches us is that, that this promise to, to those people who were standing there, those who were going to make it in to, to the written word and those that weren't, and, and built upon in Paul's letters to the church at Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia and, and Colossae and the promises of, of the, the writer of Hebrews to those who were part of that and to Romans and, and all through Scripture, the promises there that you will receive power is the same promise you and I got. You got the same promise. But the honest truth is most of us don't walk in his power. So when you and I hear that verse, understand it's a verse that's written to you. It's written to you specifically, and it's written to y'all, plural. It's written to all of us that I have been empowered to live the life of faith. I can, Paul writes, do all things. Emphasis through Christ who strengthens me. The second thing that that passage says is, it says not only y'all, but it says y'all will receive. Y'all will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Y'all will be empowered. So it's not just plural, it's not just every single one of us. But there is a specific thing. We will be empowered. And I used to read that. I, I, I used to read that with my understanding of the word receive. Christmas is a time of receiving. It's also a time of giving. I like the giving, but I also like the receiving. Okay? If you're honest, you know, we, we read the passage of Scripture, it's more blessed to give than receive. That does become fruition as you grow older. Okay, you really do begin to enjoy giving gifts more than you do getting gifts. But, but there is also a point in our life where we like the getting more than we do the, the giving. Okay, and, and, and so I always used to read that passage with that thought in mind. You will receive. And so I sat around. Okay, Lord, sock it to me. Lay it on me. I'm ready to receive. I want your power. Receive it. That's not what that means. It does mean receive, but for whatever reason, our English translations don't capture what that, the way, the, the context or the, 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 the tense of, what, of how receive is written. I don't understand why, because what it says is literally you must receive. You will receive. 
If you and I are going to be the witness that we've been called to be, the only way that that's ever going to happen is if I take hold of the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't just let God get me, but I, I take hold of what he's given me. I walk in. I, and, and honestly, if you and I read the New Testament church, that filling of the Spirit, when Paul writes, be filled with the Spirit, that is a constant thing. It's not a one-time deal. It is constantly be being filled with the Spirit. And, and so it, there is a forcibly taking hold of. Okay? If Stephen promises to help me do something in my house, because I am all thumbs when it comes to stuff, it's not going to be until I take hold of him and bring him to my house that that's going to happen. Okay? And that's what it's talking about. You will receive. You and I can't. We get, I, well, let me not speak for you. I get this backwards. I want to serve God. And there are a lot of times in my life that in my own strength, I do everything I can to serve God. And it's like I'm going, are you, are you looking? Look at what I'm doing for you. It's only going to be when I receive, when I take hold of that which Christ has promised. Jesus in Matthew 11, when he's questioned by John's disciples, John says, are you the one? Jesus is talking and he goes through who John is and he gets to verse 21 of chapter 11 and, and he says the, the kingdom of God is being attacked. This is the Brewer paraphrase. The kingdom of God is being attacked violently. People come against the kingdom violently. And it has to be violently taken. You and I wrestle with the faith. We take hold of those things for which we have been taken hold of. And, and, and so here... Christ was saying, you are empowered, but, but remember the context. Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Here's the deal. The surest way to bring about the kingdom of heaven is to walk in and take hold of the promised power of God to be a witness. To share who God is and what Christ has done in our life. Make yourself, you and I, make ourselves dependent upon the person of the Holy Spirit, not just when you need to get bailed out. We must. We can't live this faith the way we were supposed to in our own strength. We can't walk moment by moment as we are supposed to in our own ability. There has to be a constant indwelling and filling and reliance upon who God is. And that has to be moment by moment. God, I walked with you yesterday. Great. But I am learning in, in humility. I got to walk with God every second. 
I can't know that I'm in his presence right now and think that that's going to be good enough for 10 minutes from now. It can't be in my ability. It's not going to happen. And, and so it's, it's this thing that God gave to all of us, and, and he gave it to all of us that we would have his power, but that power is for a specific purpose. Look at the last part of verse 3. Or verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Again, y'all, this is not the gift of evangelism. Paul in Ephesians 4.11 talks about it was he who gave some to be evangelists. Trust me, there are those people who can seal the deal. They can close out a sale when it comes to the gospel. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about each and every one of us being a witness. And the word for witness simply means somebody who tells what they know and what they've seen. I know what God did in my life on January 14, 1984, as a 19-year-old young man. And I have seen his power work in my life and empower me to do things and to say things and to be things and, and, and to pick me up when I'm not those things. That, that's also a display of God's power. When we mess up and he forgives us and restores us and reuses us because we've been redeemed, that's also evidence of his power. And, and, and so Jesus says you all, every single one of you, will be you all empowered, each and every one of us, and we are empowered to do something very specific, which is to be a witness. Now, to be a witness, I have to first make sure I know it. Has there been a time in your life? Where you quit relying on your own strength and your own ability, your own righteousness, your own stuff. And surrendered yourself to who Jesus Christ is as your Lord and your Savior. Ellie Kleck in his commentary about Acts says this, What was true of those first apostolic witnesses is still true of witnesses today. The less Jesus is the core of the witness, the less power we have. See, the more I know of him, not stuff about him, the more I know him. The more I know Christ in a personal way, not just so I can share knowledge with other people, but the more dependent in my core that I become in him, the more in my daily walk I walk in him, the more I know of him. Not the stuff about him. The more empowered I am to, Luke 9.23, take up my cross daily. The more I'm empowered through him to Romans 8.13, to put to death those things that are of the body. How do I do that? Paul wrote a formula in Colossians 3. Seek, set, and settle. Seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated in the heavenlies. 
Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And settle in your heart, in my heart, settle that I am going to put to death daily those earthly desires. And putting to death those things is not just getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, today I put them to death. It's minute by minute, moment by moment, second by second, step by step. Lord, I'm dead to that. You died for that. I'm dead to that. I'm empty of that. Now fill me and help me to walk in your power. While I was on sabbatical, I I read several books. And one of the books that I wrote was a book by a guy named Jim Berg entitled Changed into His Image. Powerful book. Talks about exactly where what we're looking at today, dying to self. And one of the things towards the very first part of the book where he talks about how you and I have to come to grips with who we really are. How, you know, because honestly, we're really not that bad. You know, I mean, none of us have murdered anybody. None of us have robbed banks or stolen cars. At least none of us that we know about. I can look at people that a lot of the guys in our church who are police officers put in jail, I think, man, I'm not like them. I can look at some of the evilness of of people that are just, it's just evil that I see on on the news all around the world, all around the the country, all around the state, and I think, man, I'm, I'm not like them. I'm really not that bad. For me to really be saved, i got to really understand how God sees all of my sin. And early in that book, he tells a story about a little boy named Johnny. A little Johnny comes in. I, I started to, to do this, and, and the logistics of it just became impossible. So just imagine that there was a quarter in your chair today when you came in, and you're holding a quarter right now. You all know what a quarter looks like. Well, Johnny comes into his dad. He's six years old, and he says, hey, Dad, I'm six years old. I want to buy a bike. Dad says, well, Johnny, you're certainly old enough to learn how to ride a bike, and um, I think you're maturing to be able to handle a bike, and how how do you think you're going to buy it? Well, Dad, you know, every week I, I help you wash the car, and you give me a quarter. And this week, I didn't spend my quarter on candy. I want to use my quarter to buy a bike. Okay, Johnny, I can tell you're maturing. You know, candy's something that you eat and it's gone, and a bike is something that's a little more substantial. So let's go look for bikes. So they'll open the car, they drive to several different stores, and Johnny finally finds the bike he wants. And, Dad, this is the bike I want. You sure it's the bike he wants? Dad, I've wanted this bike my whole life. It's a bike I've dreamed about. I want to take this bike home. It's my bike. I want this bike. Dad looks at the price. The price of the bike, $100. Dad says, okay, Johnny, let's go buy your bike. So Johnny rolls the bike up to the counter. He takes his quarter out of his pocket. He lays it down on the, on the, the cashier stand. And he says, I'm going to buy this bike today. And the cashier looks at his quarter, looks at Dad. Dad's standing up behind him. Dad just kind of nods. The cashier says, man, it's a great bike. You made a great purchase. Takes his quarter. Dad says, Johnny, why don't you go ahead and roll your bike out to the curb. I'll be there in just a minute. I want to finish talking to the cashier. Johnny leaves. Dad takes out the checkbook. He writes a check for $99.75, hands it to the cashier, walks out, put the bike in the car, drive home. Johnny jumps out, runs in. Mom, 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 come look at the bike that I bought with my money. 
Johnny didn't buy the bike. One of these days, Johnny's going to understand that Johnny didn't buy the bike. That's how we are with our Father. Lord, I, I want to do this for you. I want to serve you. I want to give. I want to I be all that you've called me to be. Here's my quarter. The father nods. Says, go ahead, son. Go ahead, daughter. Buy your bike. I'll make up the difference. That's what it means for you and I to walk in him. That I bring the very best that I have to him and I say, God, here it is. This is all I've got, but, but I give it to you the best way I know how. And he says, you, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit has come upon you and in you. And you will be my witness in an ever-expanding way for my glory. Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who will believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous will live by how can a righteous, holy, perfect God forgive sinners and still be righteous? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How can he let us enter into a perfect, holy heaven? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It makes it possible for all of us to enter in. Has there been a time in your life where you know for certain that you quit trying in your own strength and you quit trying in your own might and you quit trying to do for the Lord and just said, Father, I believe Jesus is enough. And you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. How are we doing at walking daily in the faith? Moment by moment, minute by minute, second by second, putting to death the things of the flesh. How are we doing at being a witness? Not an evangelist. You all, me included, will be my 
witnesses. Telling people, this is who he is. This is what I know he's done for me. And this is what it looks like to walk in him. You all will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your strength. And God, that strength is when I, I bring myself to you and say, so, Lord, here I am. Take what I am and use it for your glory. God, I, I pray for this morning for, for someone or two or three people who may be here. God, maybe, maybe we've been in church our whole life. And it would be this morning that the Holy Spirit would say, I have a truth for you. A truth that will change you forever. God, may you be glorified today. Father, there are those of us as believers. And Lord, we're trying in our own strength. We're trying to, to walk in our own power. We get that reversed. And when we reverse it, we make a mess. But the beauty of your grace that is fresh and new and your mercies that are new every morning is that my messes don't have to stay so that they messed up. I can bring them to you. I can, I can bring them and, and they were pre-covered by your blood. God, may you be glorified. Father, I can, I can remember when you did it. When Christ became real to me and, and the Holy Spirit indwelt me. So, Father, may I be a witness to who Jesus is. May I be bold in my faith. God, for all of us, May we take up that mantle of saying, this is who you are. This is what you've done. And this is how it changed me. God, speak to hearts. Add to your kingdom this morning as you see fit. Add to this fellowship as is your purpose. Encourage us where we are to walk covered by the shed blood of Christ. Pray that this morning in Jesus' name.